I'm Dr. Jamie Grant. I'm a bossy femme bottom, and this is Just Sex, Mapping Your Desire. I'm calling this the seat of our pants episode because that is what it means to be a mother in the time of COVID. You know, I've never particularly identified as a MILF. Our listeners who aren't familiar with this desire profile or descriptor, it means a mother I would love to fuck. And I think I haven't identified mostly because despite this being a wildly popular descriptor with an avid following in various circles, people have never really pursued me in that vein. But lordy, if there was ever a time to think about the relationship between motherhood and all of its demands and our sexualities, which as we know, really require a little breathing room to bloom. This moment of compressed living space and 24-7 togetherness as families really feels like it. So today, I'm thrilled to bring another mother to the pod, a longtime collaborator, supporter, and fan of desire mapping, Elizabeth Scott, a feminist philanthropist based in Minneapolis with whom I've been mapping and chatting and scheming for over a decade now. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited you're here. And if you could introduce yourself to our listeners as we do in the workshop with three descriptors of your desire and then any other identity marker or markers that are important to you that we should know about. Awesome. I am Elizabeth. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a slutty, cuddly connector. Mmm, love it. (laughs) (laughs) Slutty, cuddly connector. So then let's start at the beginning. How are you doing right now in this incredibly changed moment that we're in? Wow. It feels like the past month, it's been just very up and down in all areas day to day for me. I think it has been for many of us. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and it's sunny here today. And I notice it makes a huge difference on the days where it's nice enough to go outside in my yard and go for a walk with my dog or something like that. Those days are much easier. The gray days, we actually had some snow here last week. Crazy. Uh, Those were some shitty days mentally and physically for me. Right. You're at home with your partner and child who's I think almost the same age as my daughter who's 12. Yeah my daughter just turned 13. Yeah so we're in a similar developmental moment and (laughs) you have the benefit that many of us don't have in this period where you've been homeschooling for a while so you've already set up that structure. How does the compressed space feel of just sort of the 24-7 togetherness and no flow of people inside and out. And how's that going for you? Oh, yeah. You know, some days it's easier than others. One thing that I'll share is I have felt in the past few years, I've had mixed emotions about the fact that I have such a large home. I'm a person who has inherited wealth, and I do a lot of organizing around wealthy, youngish folks. And when my partner and I bought this house about 
eight years ago, we did it with the plan in mind to really have a lot of community gatherings and using it to leverage money and things like that and be able to host people. And we have done that and it's been great, but it's still quite a large home for three people to be living at. And I am so fucking grateful right now because my partner and my daughter are both very introverted people and they just need to go find their little hidey holes. I sort of just move from room to room, you know? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And that part has been great, but the times where it has been hard, it just feels like really claustrophobic. And I think that's what I'm just finding and kind of the overarching thing that I've sort of been dealing with and wanted to talk a little bit about today is just noticing in my marriage relationship with my partner, we have other partners too, my partner and I, James, we really enjoy our time together, but we are very independent people and suddenly being home together all the time when most of the things that I do that really sustain me, I feel like happen outside this house it's been really hard Mm -hmm. it's been really hard on our relationship and to have desire you know at the beginning of this I was like oh this is gonna be great we'll just have like I mean not great but I thought in terms of sex I'm like oh we won't have anything to do we can just like fuck every day and I'm like yeah that's not happening Mm -hmm. (laughs) right that's not happening (laughs) yeah I mean, I think what you're describing, I mean, I'm just hearing from so many different corners, which is our ideas about what we do with this kind of time, and then what it means to be together 24-7 in terms of desire and people having different kinds of desire and people having different levels of libido, and then just proximity. I always say when I'm working with couples, it's like, You need a little bit of friction, good friction, to have sexuality be interesting, which is sort of like newness, difference, space, mystery. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I think for us, a lot of it is that, you know, I mean, obviously, we miss our other partners right now, but there's something about, for us, we dated long distance for three years, and I'm so grateful that we don't live long distance anymore we really enjoy and talk about how much we love our life day to day but part of that like being with other people and having different friend groups to some extent and different lovers means that there's a lot of going apart and coming together we travel a lot as a family but we even travel James presents at a lot of different rope and uh kink and BDSM events and I actually used to go to a lot of those events with him and I really don't anymore because there's things that I would rather do with my time. And it's so nice for us to have that time apart. And then he gets to spend that with other people. I mean, I think already in this time, just in the last five weeks, he's already missed like two of those events that he was supposed to attend. Right. So like the air and the flow that's usually in your relationship, the the coming in and going out and getting other sexy, interesting inputs and then coming back and having the, you know, that together. I mean, that's all gone. Even beyond sexuality, what I hear people talking about so much, the condensed air that we're in, in these spaces. Yes. 
and the lack of flow. So are there things that you're doing right now to stay connected to your others? What kinds of things are you thinking about around flow and opening up the four walls a bit? Yes. Yes. Well, I think an important insight for me was in the first couple weeks, I was like, what's going on? And I kind of identified that I was really feeling just some shame. You know, I was kind of having those feelings of like, don't breathe on me. Why are you in this room with me? (laughs) (laughs) Towards my partner and my kid. I mean, James and I have been together 10 years. So we've been married, I don't even know, five or six years. It's I can't keep track. But we've lived together for a long time even. So it's not like it's all sunshine and roses all the time. But I have realized when it comes to our sex life that has even through illness and chronic pain and parenting and all those things, it's always been pretty effortless. When I'm in that space, you know, maybe getting to that space getting my brain there, I have to do a little bit of work. But I definitely have noticed just it feels harder and I feel more irritated. And I think honestly, what was really holding me up more than anything was I was just feeling really ashamed about that. I was just thinking, is this somehow indicative that like, something's wrong with our relationship? Or there's something wrong with me? I mean, I I was just having some of those thoughts. And then I, I sort of recognized it. And I was like, yeah, I don't think that's, it it makes sense why I would be having those feelings. Right. Yeah. I was like, I don't think any of that is really true. There's, it's just really this moment of time and given everything that's going on and, and also the way we both, for both of us, our mental health and depression manifests as different and, Mm -hmm. you know, so just recognizing that was helpful and I think the other thing that has been really helpful for me is I have to build in those away times and times seeing other people. So for me, with my other sweeties, I have been connecting with them virtually. One of the people I date that is here locally, we've been getting together 10 feet apart. (laughs) We had a bonfire and uh, in my fire pit and they brought over really awesome hamburgers from the place that we always get burgers from after we fuck. Right. It's just sort of a tradition. And so, I mean, we had a laugh about it. Cause I'm like, okay, what now? Like, do we go home and jerk off or like right after, after we've had this time and we've had some online sex too, which has been interesting and fun. And that sweetie is also a parent and they're actually still working because they're in critical industry job. Wow. That's the other pieces is just, we're all dealing with different stuff and it comes up at, at different times. So that's the other thing that I'm noticing. It's tricky because I can be having a great day and I'm super horny and that person has their own bullshit. Right. I think that, It's not the same, but it's sort of like when you have little kids and you kind of just, you have to just like, you just got to go for it when you have the moments, Mm. whether you're feeling it or not. And just know that like that, the desire will build. I feel like that is kind of what I've had to find in these times. I, I think that is a, just a superlative insight, just a tool or a framework for people to think about for people who have had little kids. 
that that period between zero yeah. to three is so compressed and you literally don't have time to shit or take a shower or, <laughs> you know, or, or like just go around the corner to the store. Especially for me as a single mother, I felt like, God, every moment I have to myself in the next three-year period is going to be borrowed or paid for. Right. It's like that's that's the only space I'm going to get free time from is either relying on my network for it or paying somebody for it. I I think it was one of the things that terrified me when I finally brought the baby home. Hadn't really thought of like the massive impact of this, what this really means. I think, yeah, there's just a lot that we learned in that period that we can draw on if we're mothers. So many moments of shame in that era of feeling like, you know, I love this baby more than life itself. And my God, can I get a second to myself? <laughs> my God, can I just <laughs> yeah. have a little bit of space? And then when you have the space, you don't want the space. You're so tethered, right? And, you know, what you were talking about, about feeling that moment of shame with a partner sitting next to you who you obviously love and have, you know, this long, really vibrant relationship with. And it's like, please, God, just don't breathe on me. <laughs> you know, that's like, that's very reminiscent <laughs> And then the other thing I loved about what you said is drawing on remembering that time to say we have to create new forms in this period. I love the idea of the 10 foot apart bonfire. And I can see your, your, your sweetie putting the meat on the fire while you're across the way and then picking up the, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like a tandem kind of uh, thing. And it also, it also brings to mind how much sexy porn and stuff that I've loved of people uh, or fantasy that I've had in my lifetime of people being in the same room, but across the room from each other and not touching and getting each other off. For me, there's always been interest in those, um, you know, the, the ways our imagination, I love evoking someone's desire. I think that's probably my favorite space on earth is when I feel like there's something I'm doing or presenting or showing about myself. And I can see that moment where the other person is just losing it. They're just really compelled by whatever it is. And those Mm -hmm. moments have often not been moments where we are touching. Sometimes we're talking. Sometimes we're miles apart. Sometimes we're across a room. But feeling that moment where you evoke something in someone else is just so powerful. And so I just... I love what you're saying about like, we really need to be drawn on what we know. And really as mothers, we do know how to make sexy time during times of massively compressed space of leisure or time out or time to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that we, we do know a lot about ourselves and our sex and our sexuality to be innovating new forms both of that. And then the other thing that really resonated for me about what you were saying as a person who has major depression and has had it, has had to manage it my whole life and has kids who have, you know, variously, you know, loads of depression and anxiety is just watching the unit around this, right? It's like, okay, so at any given time, we have X load around this. (laughs) And now we're in a time of such uncertainty and where the news we're getting in the inputs that we're getting can be so frightening and have real implications around adding 
trauma and loss to our communities and, you know, our intimate families. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm thinking about that a lot around my kids, especially, especially, you know, the 12 year old. I mean, this is like a formative thing for her now, her worldview. It's, it's been bad enough with climate change. I feel like she's had this kind of thanks for handing me this world that's going to basically blow up before I'm even an adult mom. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And my daughter also has a very dystopian view of things, which is sort of helpful and not helpful <laughs> in this moment. Yeah. Time, so I really. Yeah. Say more that. about that. Say more about, you know, just receiving that as a mom and how you, how you work with it. Initially, it was really tough for me. It just, I felt sort of powerless. What has been the most helpful for my daughter and for our family unit is we really have been basically having some form of a family meeting every day where we just check in, not only on what needs to get done around the house or tangible things, but also how are we feeling physically, emotionally. And one thing that's been awesome is that my daughter is so able to articulate what she would like or needs that day. So she's been able to say, I really need some one-on-one time with each of you, or I just want to read my book and be alone. (laughs) Yesterday, she asked if we could have a family game night. And she has been really asking for a lot more touch and mama cuddle time. And so my piece of that is I've really been doing my best to take care of myself during the day so that I can be receptive to that. I have a chronic illness, which kind of manifests in different ways. I think the biggest impact is that as the day goes on, especially by late afternoon and evening, I'm really tired and often not super emotionally available. Right. Really have to sort of save my spoons, so to speak of, you know, spoon theory. Even I've had to set a boundary with my family around when I'm going outside to go for a walk or a bike ride. I'm like, I have to be by myself. That has been helping me a lot when I'm able to do that. Mm. I feel then like I have something to give at 5 p.m. (laughs) You know? Well, no, I mean, I love everything you're saying is really about what practices do we need in this era to sustain ourselves from the family meeting to thinking about a family game night, to realizing I have a chronic illness and if I don't do something for myself or get out once a day, I'm not going to have what I need to show up for everybody. Yes. And I think I think part of it too for both my partner and I has been finding ways that we can really be taking action right now. For me, that's meant donating a lot of money to different groups and individuals. And for my partner, he's a hacker maker person. So he's been 3D printing a bunch of the headbands that are for medical professionals that oh, they make face fantastic. shields out of. So he's yep. been like printing those and dropping them off. So I think that's been an important self-care piece too, is yep. to be attending to all those different right areas. What I also hear you saying is that being connected to the struggle right now is a kind of self and community care. Making the contribution we can make from the position we're in is just an absolutely critical piece of wellness right now. I mean, I feel it around modeling for my kids. There's a way through. Yes. I think it's such a key 
piece and gift that I've gotten from the desire mapping is all of that sexuality and liberation work for me right now. It's not like these are separate pieces of my life. I feel anymore. It's, it's just different parts of the same stuff. The other thing that I wanted to share that has been so <laughs> just kind of fun and funny during this time is that a month ago, well, a little over a month ago, I started hormone therapy. So I had found out that through some testing that my testosterone was low. And this was through seeing a specialist, a gynecologist that really sees women for health issues and libido and things like that. And I didn't actually seek that out because I felt like I was having libido problems. It was for some other health reasons related to my fibromyalgia and energy stuff. I found out through that testing that my testosterone was low, meaning a regular quote unquote testing place or doctor would probably say, oh, you're fine. You're in the normal range for a 40 year old woman. And what this physician really explained to me is that that was absolute bullshit. (laughs) That's not at all where they, they think optimally I should be for my age. And I'd heard about this testosterone pellet. It's pellet therapy. It's bioidentical hormone therapy from a friend who's also a nurse. And she just raved about it, about how, how she felt on it. And so I was like, whatever, I will totally try it. And so I got this pellet inserted and just went about my life because it takes a while for those hormones to release. You don't really hit a peak until you're about a month in. And I don't know how else to say it, but it's like, you know, we're on our first week of lockdown, whatever. And I wake up and get out of bed and it's like, I have a clit boner. <laughs> so Meaning awesome. I cannot walk without stimulating myself. I'm oh my falling over. What the fuck is going on? Not in a bad way. Just right. Right. But just, whoa, this is new. Yeah. Basically I have started feeling the effects of this hormone therapy and talked to my sweeties about it as I'm on a magical pussy journey. I thought my pussy was just fine before and my libido was fine just before and my clit was just fine before. And it feels like it did when I was pregnant. Oh my God. It's so incredible. Swollen and sensitive. And, you know, they say, you know, whenever they, they have you sign things for this and the side effects, they talk about a side effect can be a rare side effect can be you get, quote, unusual clitoral growth or whatever. And I don't know what that means. I suspect what it means is like a small percentage of people have a lot of clitoral growth and they're not into it. But my my guess is that for a lot of (laughs) folks, they have a little bit. Right. And they just don't really notice it. Now, I am very, I notice things and I'm very in touch with my body as a person who does sexuality work. So I'm like, oh, this is great. And it's awesome. And it both sucks that it's happening during this time where I can't enjoy sex with other partners, you know, outside of my, my primary partner. And he, to be fair, he has been totally supportive, but he did at one point say, I, I know about your clit. Like you've told me. And I had to be like, (laughs) guess what? I know you know, 
this is a huge deal for me, and I'm going to fucking keep talking about it every goddamn day. So just smile and nod. I had to, you know, I feel like one of the best learnings when you're in a partnership with, you know, somebody, and to be fair, he has to do the same for me. When you're in a partnership with somebody where you have very different communication styles, you just have to kind of lay it out for him. So I was just like, hey, but anyways, it's been cool to have it happening now because I'm on, I'm so much more just like in my own body and have time and space to masturbate and be into it. And the other day I was, I don't, I mean, I've never been a person that's like extremely focused on orgasm and having an orgasm, but you know, I like to have an orgasm and there's definitely times where I'm okay. I want to have an orgasm and I want to get there and I get pressuring myself for that. And now I'm just like, oh, I don't even give a fuck. It can just keep <laughs> feeling this good forever. Oh, my God. I love this story. I especially love it because I think for a lot of us whose libidos drop as we age, we just think there's no option, that there's no yeah. real intervention. So when I put together the landing page for our episode, I'm going to put some link to some resource or whatever so that people can yeah, find out. I can this. send you. But it was interesting because I felt like, I feel like the medical care I'm getting around it is excellent. The informed consent is excellent. They're testing me monthly initially here to make sure my other, you know, there was a lot of good care. It was interesting because when I looked up to see, you know, just online about this therapy, overwhelmingly my sense was that endocrinologists don't like it it's the sort of well there isn't enough research and oh yeah blah 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 blah. I think that's important for listeners to know I think this is an issue that this is a treatment that is so it's not necessarily that it's new but it's one of those things where they're not studying it I have a story post hysterectomy which is I needed one in at 50 and I had to take my ovaries so you know not ideal So I looked for ways to deal with hot flashes and libido, and I found this treatment, which is called EstroTest, which is a combo of testosterone and estrogen. And I was in Michigan at the time, and the doctor that performed the hysterectomy on me fired me because I really insisted that he read up on this medication and prescribe it to me. Because I had had all these community-based folks, you know, mostly working with trans folks, who told yes. me about this. So he fired me. I had to fly to DC to my doctor, who was one of the first doctors that worked at the lesbian health clinic here, who was doing hormone work with tons of the trans people I knew. And when I went to her practice and asked for it, they were like, we don't really like to give testosterone. And I was like, okay, every trans person I know is getting their hormones here you are dealing with testosterone in people assigned female at birth. It's like, this feels like really particular discrimination about how you treat cis women. Right. And doctors have so much shit around gender and also us defining our needs as cis women presenting in medical settings. So I had to fight even a queer friendly space to get really not even what you're talking about a very basic, you know, mixed med that wouldn't even, it's not really addressed my libido stuff to a great extent. It's just given me a good baseline around the the hot flashes. But 
I think this is an area that is so understudied because who gives a shit about our sexuality and our desire? We know we're not really supposed to want it. Still, the era we're in, we're not really supposed to want it and we're not supposed to define our own paths around it. The primary reasons that I was even seeking this out based on what this friend had told me was for mental fogginess and chronic pain and some other health-related stuff. And it wasn't even until I left that first consultation appointment that I really started thinking about, well, how has my libido been? And I feel now, looking back, it has just gradually lessened over the maybe the past five years way that like I really wasn't even super conscious of the physician I saw was so great about it because she said some people they actually she has patients that are seeking it seeking this treatment for health reasons and they have to pull back the amount of testosterone they're given or or the other hormones because they don't like feeling more desire Right. It's not necessarily like, oh, we want to make everybody super horny all the time. And I mean, that's not, I I don't even know that I would say, oh, I'm hornier. I feel like I have more energy, which Mm -hmm. is never a bad thing when you have chronic illness that saps your energy. Yeah. And I feel like it has actually changed my sexual response. Everything is so much more sensitive in the best possible way. Like I said, I I just remember being pregnant and feeling this swollen juiciness all the time. Oh yeah. That I love. Yep. Yeah. And to be clear, my pregnancy sucked in other ways. I did not feel great physically, but sexually I felt really good. I had awesome orgasms and I've really missed that. So I think it's important to share about that because obviously some folks might be interested because they really are really, you know, I'm not even perimenopausal yet, I found out. So right. the great part for me is that as I'm addressing this before I even get to that point, the sad part is I feel like, you know, this bioidentical pellet therapy, which there's other hormone therapy, obviously, but the nice part about this is you don't get the kind of peaks and valleys that you do with other forms of testosterone it's not super available. Like I literally have to drive to the white lady clinic in the burbs. I mean, I hate to say that, but it really is like a clinic that is frequented by wealthy white women, but my insurance is covering a good portion of it. And I think that is common. So if you have insurance, yes. Yeah. We have have to bust into these spaces too. Again, it's, who the medical profession thinks has the right to desire is very raced and gendered. And I yes. think just been getting the information out so that all of our listeners of all races and genders and identities can start to think about how to keep creating these resources and demanding them exactly. so that, you know, we all have access to them. So I just really appreciate the story. So many people deserve a, ma- a magical pussy journey. let me tell you yes (laughs) let's amp up the magical pussies well thank you so much and thanks for all the support you've given the just sex podcast it's been really incredible and we couldn't be doing it without you oh my pleasure you're so welcome all right well we'll meet again soon 
Thanks for being here. Okay. Love you. Bye. Hey, it's time for that quick break in the pod where I thank my sponsors. You know, it's not easy to get sexual liberation work funded, and I can't thank these generous, visionary sponsors enough. The Freeman Foundation, centering Eros and sexual liberation in the LGBTQ movement for justice. The Wild Geese Foundation, working to defend human rights and grow food sovereignty. And finally, Grinder for Equality, leveraging the power of our social and sexual connections for LGBTQ human rights around the world. Thanks, everyone. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please head over to iTunes and give us a zillion stars. Send a link to your friends. Talk us up. If you'd like to respond to the show or stay connected, find us on social media under Just Sex Podcast and Desire Mapping. And if you have questions for me about your desire map or comments, you can email me at justsexpod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Like we both agree on what to do.